Let me invite you, beloved, to please stand as we turn to God's word. The people sitting in this area and that area, uh, I really can't see you because the lights are right in my face. So I'm really waiting to move a bit so I can see who's there and who's there. Today I would like us to turn to two passages, both not new, but so important, and the Lord has led me back there. I've been hoping that by the time we restart church in this fashion, in, in physical fashion, we'll be getting back to our series, but I still have instructions to hold on, so um, I'll obey what the Lord is uh, saying and, and just continue to wait upon him and at the right time we will uh, pick up our series so we can finish what he gave us for the year. So Romans chapter 1 verse 17 and Hebrews 11 verse 1 to 17 even though we won't read everything but that's the context that we will deal with. Those are the two passages that uh, we're handling. I'll announce the message the Lord has given. Romans chapter 1. I'm sure everybody can be able to cite that one. Maybe we can read together. One, two, three. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the New International Version, let me pick it up and read it as well. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And two years ago, we did so much from this passage. A righteousness that is by faith from First to last. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous, or in this case from the King James Version, the just will live by faith. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. Our context takes us all the way into 17. But we will read 1 and 2 and then read verse 17. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was now about, added now, about to sacrifice his one and only son. The Lord had blessing to the reading of his word. 
Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to share your most holy word. Thank you for granting us safety of travel and bringing us back home. And thank you for your preservation, the preservation of your people. And thank you for this great set of leaders who have been carrying on with the ministry. Bless them, Lord, and sustain uh, their families as well. We give you honor, praise, and glory. And thank you for the opportunity to reconvene physically after these many, many months of um, being away. We thank you for how you've helped us to cope through this season. And we know that you're continuing to sustain us as a nation. We give you honor, praise, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. May kindly be seated. Today, the message the Lord has given me, uh, I have entitled, Selected Nuggets on Living by Faith. Selected Nuggets on living by faith. It is the privilege of every child of God to enjoy growth in knowing God and learning how to live by faith on an incremental basis. However, this whole exercise of knowing God and learning to um, love Him to experience his goodness on an incremental basis is actually easier said than done. And my observation is that faith by nature will be tested. And it happens routinely from time to time. It's the rule, not the exception. Are we together? So from time to time, faith is tested. And if they just live by faith, it means that the norm is that you are one time up on the mountain and God may choose to test you there so the mountain feels like you are in the valley. And another time you are in the valley and God chooses to test you there and you feel like now you are really sinking. Those are moments of life. So the child of God must learn to navigate through life on a daily basis with a readiness to allow God to test them. Hallelujah. To allow God to test them. In the process, one's faith is refined. And in my own personal life, I've found out this is how God grows me as an individual. This is how God grows you as an individual, becomes the norm. So, somebody has said, you are either in a trial or coming out of one or about to face one. That's the order of life. And that's how God has designed us to navigate our way through life. Why? this would be a good place to be able to read the words of James in chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Ah, that's another aspect. They are not ever the same. So you get tried in one way, and next time God tries you, in another way, 
another time he tries you in yet another way, and that's just the order. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, hallelujah, produces. So the trial of faith is a refining time. It's actually production time. Produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work. Mm. Mm. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, in the process of these trials, once faith is refined, But it's something there, gross. If you've seen that, for the people running the knots, it's gross. Gross is the result. Um, the, the thing that probably is necessary for all of us to be very deliberate about is to increase your awareness of what season you're living in. Whether you are in the trial or getting out of the trial, and we said, if that's not the case, you are about to face one. It's one of those three. So take time to find out, Lord, where am I at? Say it with me again. You're either in a trial or getting out of a trial or just about to face one. So try hard to try and determine exactly where you are at. If one's awareness of this reality is in place, I want to say this morning, it becomes a process of growing confidence and assurance in God's promises as established in the Word. One of the servants of the Lord who's written much in so many areas and wrote for many, many years before he went to be with the Lord, uh, Warren Worsby, said, and I caught from him, this morning, circumstances may be impossible and the consequences frightening and unknown. But we obey God's word just the same and believe him to do what is right and what is best. And caught. And so, the temptation we face is that when we're going through a trial, or maybe coming out of one, is to overly think, overly attempt to understand what's going on. It's not always that we must understand what's going on. What's important is to understand the season you're in and then act in obedience. And when you act in obedience, God increases on the understanding. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? God increases on the understanding. So what I felt led to do today is to try and highlight some basics around this living by faith. By revisiting some truths around biblical faith so that we can uh, apply this. So 
let me draw our attention to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And I'd like to pick up our key lessons on three characteristics of biblical faith. In verse number one, the Bible says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. In the, new, in the King James Version and a few other versions, it says now faith is a substance. Faith is a substance. So let me make that my, my first uh, point this morning. Understanding biblical faith as a substance. If we're to live by faith, we've got to understand some characteristics of this faith. And verse number one says this faith is actually a substance. The substance meaning an arrangement that actually constitutes our confidence, our level of confidence. It's an aspect that constitutes the arena of increasing the strength of our foundation in terms of assurance, growing our assurance over what God has spoken of our lives. The root word in, in the Greek language from which that word that comes through as substance or confidence actually suggests a support, that which stands under a foundation or ground for hope. So, if you think about a foundation, this is actually saying where a foundation is laid. This is discussing something that sits under the foundation. So can you imagine something that a foundation sits on? So it would be like, engineers would understand this better. If the building is about to be erected in an area where the ground is either maybe too, um, of, of some nature, um, maybe it's like what we have, for those who've been to the Lazarus Project, the, 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 the soil there is, is sort of very coarse and um, sol solid to an extent where after a while it sort of cracks. So if you build a building and you have not taken note of that kind of arrangement, chances are it will affect the building. So when we were erecting one particular building, where the, the, the set of buildings where the classrooms are, the engineers came in and said, you know, we actually have to put in some steel around this area as we're laying the foundation. That is to strengthen the structure so that it doesn't begin to crack. And so the, the kind of support that is laid to a foundation for that kind of building is meant to uh, anticipate some difficulty that would develop if that was not done. And in this particular case, your faith, is given and understood as that substance which undergets your actual life. Where you sit, where you live, where you walk, your faith is that substance, is that confidence, is, is that steel frame that's built around some cracks that's anticipated 10 years from now in your life. So when they are occurring, you are still secure. You become aware the cracks are happening, but you're secure and you can handle the cracks because you remember that God has given you 
a support. A support, that which stands under a, a foundation or ground for hope. In the past, as I've taught around this, I've described faith and this support as a tangible, intangible. When you talk about something tangible, it's like something you can touch or see. But faith cannot be seen, yet it is tangible. Why do I say it's tangible? Because we can access it and hold on to it. That's why I call it a tangible, intangible. It's intangible in the sense that you can't see. But it's tangible because it's there. It's what God has provided. So it's important to see verse number one of Hebrews 11, not really as a definition of faith, but a description of what faith does for you and I. It's a steadiness. It's an assurance. It's a nature. Essence, that's what the Greek word suggests. It's being sure. A sense of trust and confidence. That is what faith is. You can't see it, but you can hold it. And so when the Bible says the just shall live by faith, we live by what we do not see, but we live by what we can touch. And that is why John the Apostle, uh, as he was uh, writing to the believers then, says that which we have seen and our hands have handled. It was talking about the things that they experienced. Let me, let me take us there to John. First John. Chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. That's the tangible, intangible. He says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So faith is a substance. And I want you to hold on to it today. Hallelujah. It's a substance. It's assurance. It is confidence. It's a sense of trust. A sense of understanding who God is. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, faith is not only a substance. In this verse, we hear and we observe that it is evidence, meaning it is a conviction. Faith is a confidence or a substance of what we hope for. The evidence, that evidence is what takes us into the assurance side. Meaning, even though we don't see, when we hold on rightly 
God allows us to see evidence of what he has promised by either miraculously intervening and showing us and changing a circumstance or at least showing us that what we've been praying for is here. It's here, provided for, visible. It's evidence, an inward conviction from God that what he has promised, he will perform. And I want to remind someone here today that God is able. What he has promised, he will do. There are people who promise you some things and you know that when they say it, well, I say, well, I'll believe it when it happens. But what God says, he will do. Hallelujah. God-given faith in one's heart is conviction enough that he will keep his word. What he says, he will do. Let me take you to verse number six, although we will come back to it a little later. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is a substance. Faith is this evidence. But I want to dwell more on the third aspect, which is in the last part of verse number six, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The King James Version, those who diligently seek him. So, faith is rewardable. It is a rewardable witness. I want us to dwell on this for a little bit. In verse number two, the Bible says, this is what the ancients were commended for. What were they commended for? Faith. So when God gets to a place where he commends someone, it means that someone is doing something right. And verse number six says, anyone who comes to God must believe that God is. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is what the ancient heroes were commended for. Without faith, he says it's impossible to please God. So which means with faith, God is pleased. It's that simple. It means that when there is a place where God sees and I will emphasize this very shortly, that I am actually exercising faith in him. He's pleased. He's pleased. And because he is pleased, he will definitely act. He will act. He responds to believing faith in his children. So it follows logically, that's what I'm saying here, that with faith, God is pleased. Look at verse number 5 and verse number 39. Verse number 5, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. God was so pleased with his walk that he took him. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Observe verse 39 with me. These, the people who have been listed here, were all commended 
for their faith. I may God commend you today as he sees you exercising faith in him. Regardless of what your circumstance might be. These were commended, but take note. Yet none of them received what had been promised. How about that? They didn't receive. But even before they received, they were commended. Which means something was happening inside them. And this is the space, the space I want us to occupy. We are sometimes spooked too much by just what we see or do not see. And sometimes because we are not seeing enough of what we think should be happening, our hearts sink. Our faith fails and wanes. Our faith is weakened. Because what we thought we might see today, we are not seeing. But God is wanting us to understand that before we can see, he wants us to fill the space inside of where we believe. And that's what he sees first before we can see. And he said, blessed are those who believe even before they can see. So they were commended. Even though the Bible says, yet none of them received what had been promised. Verse 40, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Hallelujah. So we are in that place where we have the opportunity to exercise faith just like these heroes. But we have the opportunity to learn from them and even probably act better in how we believe in God because we are learning from these great heroes. So with that in mind, I, we are ready to explore at least one of these heroes and how he utilized his faith so we can learn how the just live by faith. We're back to verse number six. Number eight, excuse me. Let's go to verse number eight now in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham. So we want to explore the example of Abraham as we're looking at how faith is rewardable. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. It's interesting how the Bible simply records obeyed and went. <laughs> That's very serious. He just obeyed and went. Many of us negotiate with God. When we, he's leading, maybe he's calling, some of you here today, maybe God is calling you to full-time ministry and you are in a, a secular job. And maybe for the past three months, you've been negotiating. I've been sent to you today to tell you it's time to obey. It's time to obey. And you be, you're actually sitting here. It's time to obey. Hello? It is time to obey. Abraham simply obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. 
And those are the battles we have. So the questions you are asking are, okay, so Lord, where am I going? What will become of my family? What will become of my children? Very legitimate questions. But we spend too much time negotiating. And God is not uh, pleased when that is happening. Verse number nine. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Come with me to verse number 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him. So remember, we talked about faith in this kind of life as one where ordinarily God will test it. He will test that faith. By faith, Abraham, when, uh, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Again, no negotiations. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice this one and only son. So let, let's go to Genesis 22, where the narrative is, and pick up a few more things there for our final applications for today. Here's the narrative. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And sometime later, he will test you. He will. He will test me. He will test us. You should simply be ready for when that time comes. Hallelujah. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. This man of faith simply says, here I am. Sounds simple. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is God talking. As if playing with his emotions. <laughs> take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. So he's even named. And go to the region of Moriah. You ready for this one? God says, sacrifice him. Are we okay? Are we all right? God says, sacrifice him there as a bent offering. On a mountain, I will show you. So, thankfully for Abraham, quite a lot of detail has been given here. He now knows he's on a journey. The mission is to sacrifice his son. Where? On a mountain. The only part now is that the mountain is yet to be shown. Now, the amazing bit for me is verse 3. I don't know what you would have done. I know that I probably could have done some negotiating. If I were Abraham, I'm, I'm, I'm serious as a human being. If I was Abraham, 
And after praying so hard for so many years, God gives you an only son. And then he says, go sacrifice him. But this Abraham is very unique. Early in the morning, the Bible says Abraham gets up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place God had told him about. Verse number four. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. But he knows that by going there, his real mission is to sacrifice the son. But he does say, we worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. Are we together? And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them were going on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, I know this is not new, but it's good to revisit it. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. (laughs) But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Yeah, Isaac, Abraham was supposed to say, you are the lamb. (laughs) Ah, but what does God do here? Abraham in verse number eight. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on. Now, this is faith in action. Where Abraham knows this son that God gave, he has instructions to lay him on the altar and sacrifice him. The son asks, where is the lamb? Abraham, at this point, says, God himself will provide. Now, this is an intricate arrangement. And I'll tell you how this works. And how we can work with God. It's not that Abraham was superhuman. So he's doing everything right. My reading is as follows. Hear me. My reading is as follows. I think that in Abraham's life, there was such a careful consciousness to position himself in a disposition where he's constantly, for each moment, wanting to hear. And my reading is that when God sees that disposition, you have divine enabling to anticipate God's miracles. Not when doubt becomes the issue. When not all the time God says this, you say, ah, okay, Lord. No, please don't get into the habit. 
of questioning everything God does. And unfortunately, this is the issue our generation is dealing with. We are highly, a highly rational, rationalistic and uh, analytical generation. We, we don't appear, especially you, the young people, we don't appear to take things on first value. We, are, we, have, we have been in class for too long. We have been taught and schooled to question everything. There is a place for analytical thinking. But in the realm of faith, my dear friends, we must set aside the mental things, the obvious physical things that we know, things we've been taught, things we are familiar with. In the realm of faith, you must be prepared to enter into the unfamiliar. And in that unfamiliar, it is an exercise of surrender. Surrender of the will. Surrender of the known into the unknown. And when I read the life of Abraham, I see a man who, when God says, get up, he gets up and he's ready for whatever is next, even though there was uncertainty. That is what conditions you to be able to do unusual things in times when people are falling away. That is what conditions you. Is that readiness. There is a consciousness to let go, as I've preached before, preached a sermon in 1995, let go and let God. In the realm of faith, it is about letting go. Letting go. That means even what you consider as dearest to you, letting go means being prepared to let it crash. And if you're prepared to let it crash, then you will know that if it is not meant to crash, the everlasting arms that God has been described as having will be there underneath. He says the everlasting God is your God and underneath his everlasting arms. Letting go and making sure that you are aware that if this thing is not meant to crash, but you're letting go, God will scoop you and scoop it. Whatever it is that you are fearing will crash. He will scoop you. Hallelujah. The everlasting God will ride the heavens to scoop you. When you think you're in the act of falling, living by faith is really this exercise of you learning to hear from God and allowing God to test you. And he'll test you normally by touching some things that you're very attached to. He may touch your business. He may touch your job. He may touch the very things that are closest to you. And you must be willing to surrender them. Here, Abraham is facing a situation where what was touched is his only only son, Isaac. And so when there's that conversation, where is the lamb? He goes beyond telling half-truths. He simply says, God will provide. And we know the narrative. Let's read it and apply it. So they move on. When they reach the place, verse number nine, God had 
told him about. Uh, what's the key here? Reaching the place where God had told him about. Where God leads, he will provide. Abraham built an altar. There. Arranged the wood. Bound his son Isaac. Laid him on the altar. On top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand. And took the knife. To slay. His son. Verse 11. But. The angel of the Lord. Called out from heaven. Abraham. Abraham. I want you to get to that place beloved. Where you can let go. And allow God himself to come through and say, hey, 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 my son, my daughter, I have seen your faith. God must see you being ready to step out. He must see you being ready to believe him to move in, to get to the very edge. We can't be in this place where we're always so cautious that, you know, I know humanly we must plan, we must do certain things, but listen, the realm of faith, and which is the realm that all of us must practice living in because that's what our life is. The life we just shall live by faith. The realm of faith is one where you have to learn to let go. So the angel calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, verse number 12, do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. This is really God speaking. Abraham looked up in the thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son, uh, Isaac. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So for Abraham, this walk of faith brought him to an experience of Jehovah Jireh. Hallelujah. Jehovah Jireh. We say it so often. Jehovah Jireh. This was a journey for Abraham. And may I say to you, it should be your journey too. The name Jehovah Jireh, as you know, or I hope you know, is actually a com one of those we refer to as compound names. Jireh with that uh, initial indication, Jehovah. So Jehovah, Jireh. It's a compound name. The term Jireh itself has its root. In its root, it actually means to see. Jireh means to see. When put in combination with this uh, Jehovah arrangement here, it becomes to provide. So, something very unique about that aspect of seeing. It's not just about you and I seeing. Because in any case, we're not being expected here that we'll be acting on the basis of what we see. 
we're supposed to move. The emphasis in this name is about what God sees in you. So what did God see in Abraham? You've heard it. He says, now I know that you fear God. God saw that after he spoke, Abraham moved. He saw faith. He saw a sense of trust, a sense of confidence. There is something that God must see you doing today. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I can assure you, we read already, these heroes of faith were commended for their faith, meaning God saw in them. And take note that they were commended even though what they were believing God for, they didn't see with their eyes. Some of them, many of them died even before receiving what they had promised. So this tells you that there is so much value in what you and I do before we see the miracle. How you and I respond. We prepare the way for that miracle, first of all, by the condition of our hearts and how we respond to God. So, in uh, the experience of Jehovah, Jireh, here in verses 13 and 14. I want to draw your attention to verse number 16 of Genesis chapter 22. Let's read verse 15 as well. The angel of the Lord who spoke earlier in um, verse 10 and 11. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities of enemies. And through your offspring... All nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Hallelujah. Then Abraham returned to his servant and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So as he promised, he and the, and the boy did return to the servant. But what's key here is what God saw. What God saw. The meaning of Jehovah Jireh is about God seeing your faith and being moved to provide for you. He has promised he will. But in the instance of need, he's expecting me to show that the trust is not in a, a bank account, not in a salary that's coming at the month. And those things are good and they are there. But God will test that very thing. That's why sometimes he may take away the salary. That's why sometimes he may take away the bank account. Because he wants you to live in that space where you're saying it's not the salary. It's not my job. But it is God, Jireh, who sees my faith. And therefore I can trust him to provide. Psalm 20, remember, says some trust in chariots 
some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. God sent me today to help us assess the places where we are at and ask ourselves some questions. What does God see in your response to the current circumstance of your life? That's number one question I'm asking as I'm wrapping up. Secondly, what does God see as your response to his leading in your life? What does God see? Doubt? Question? Blaming your wife? Blaming your husband? Blaming your employer? Even your former employer? You know what? There comes a place where you must just let go of your former employer. No matter how cruel they may have been to you. Or your former business mate. No matter how cruel and uh, and grateful they may have been. Just let go. God is calling you and I into that realm of faith. And that realm of faith is where you are seeing that you have a substance that you're sitting on and standing on his word, his promises. And that substance is enough to hold you. That substance comes as a conviction. What you believe about God and what he does. But today I'm saying that substance is rewardable. That faith is rewardable. And part of the reward is that when God sees you, actually trusting him and letting go of what you really love. This is now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me. Didn't he know? Okay, of course we know that in his omniscience, he knew already. But he's dealing on the instance with how you and I are responding. This becomes the reason why you can understand the trials of your life. Let's see a little bit of this um, summary in um, Romans 4 as you're considering these two questions I've asked and, and we will be uh, responding shortly. Romans 4. Let's look at Abraham again. Romans 4. Very important consideration of how he walked through this. If we pick it up in verse number 13. The Bible says, it's not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith. For if those who depended on the law are heirs, faith means nothing. And the promise is worthless. So this idea is, is then that God does not want us to replace faith with things that we already know. Are you hearing me? And we need to be careful in our day and time. Sometimes we trust too much in our jobs, in our money, in each other. So that even when you're praying for provision, you have people in mind. And you know, God can set you up. If you have in mind the person that you think God will provide something for, you come to church on Sunday, you find that God 
allows that they are not there. And you start calling, where are you? Are you out of town? Listen. <laughs> God has set you up. He wants you to have, if possible, a blankness. A blankness that's positive in the sense that you put away your job, put away your man, put away the obvious things and go into that realm of the unknown. And just step there. And I can assure you, it is that which Jesus described as faith, as little as a mustard seed. As little as a mustard seed. Just that. God is moved. He sees you. He knows your needs. He understands where you're at. Nothing good will he keep away from his children. But he does want his children to act in such a way that even if what they thought was dearest is being seen as if it's about to break or fall away, they are prepared to let it go. Then he says, ah, that's my son. That's my daughter. So they are placing me higher than that thing which I know they love. So God makes sure that even what you are fearing might break, he, he holds it and gives it right back to you in response to your faith. Hallelujah. So he says in Psalm 27. When you read Psalm 27, you understand the following. But let me finish. I must take you to verse 17 and uh, 18 of Romans before I go to Psalm 27 uh, in answer to those questions. Verse 17. Now that's 16. Therefore, the promises come by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all, all of Abraham's offspring. That's you and I. Not only those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of, of, of all of us. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And you are that offspring. You and I are that offspring. I don't want us to see Abraham as superhuman. He was as human as you and I. But I've already described for you what my reading is. My reading is that he got into that realm where, without questioning, if God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, he moved, he obeyed. And God is speaking right now. You must move. You must act. Today, I do not know what you're seeking God for. But I want you to know that he is Jireh. Hallelujah. He is Jireh. I will leave that last verse that I want us to read. Let's just um, go into the presence of the Lord right now. Bow your head and close your eyes.